Hello and welcome to GIST Radio. We are a casual radio station where we broadcast when we have something to say. GIST stands for Getting the Shit Together, and we broadcast important interviews and information for artists and creatives of all kinds. For more information on GIST, please log into our website at www.gyst-ink.com, where you will find free resources, software, and publications for artists. You can email us and let us know what you would like to hear about at info at gyst-ink.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Kara Tomei. And for this radio show, I seek out artists who have decided to hybridize their careers in the direction of producing independent ways of presenting art to the public. I invite people with DIY sensibilities and a passion for alternative ideas and approaches to what an art exhibition can be, and I ask them to share the whys and hows of what they do. I'm pleased to have two of the four originators of On the Road Project with me today. On the Road is doing very interesting shows, actually the likes of which I haven't really seen in, in L.A. before. I got wind of them when I saw an announcement, I believe on Facebook, about a one-night art show planned for a street median. Uh, actually, a collaboration with Thank You For Coming in Atwater Village in Los Angeles. Actually, Thank You For Coming have also been guests on my show. You can look at their interview if you're interested. And... In any case, so uh, On the Road and TYFC collaborate on this particular exhibition, and again, on a street median, so that grabbed my attention right away. And intriguing me even more, this group is dedicated to investigating and blending the disciplines of architecture, design, and art uh, through a planned year-long series of temporary exhibitions, of which they have had three. Um, so recently, On the Road created a very unique ambulatory, love that word, art show whereby the audience drove around Los Angeles to architecturally distinctive or even iconic private homes to open the mailboxes of those homes, wherein postcard-sized artworks commissioned by a number of L.A. artists were uh, resting and and waiting for the taking. Um, And there were more layers to this art show called West of La Brea. I'm going to actually let my guests dive into telling you more about the specifics of that show. But just to kind of start it off with, hmm, exhibitions on the street median and in mailboxes, uh, you know, those are two pretty uh, unique things, and they've had a third show, all of which are just great ideas. So I'm very excited to talk to uh, my guest today to hear all about what they're doing. Um, I'd like to welcome Danielle Rago and James Michael Tate, who goes by Tate, to GIST Radio now. Hi, Danielle and Tate. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. Pleased to have you to hear all about um, On the Road. So I'm going to start, Danielle. I'm going to ask you um, just to tell our audience a bit about your background, a brief kind of bit about maybe even the four of your colleagues' uh, backgrounds in architecture and art, and and then how you came together to originate this collective. Um, Okay, well... Myself, I'm an independent curator and writer, and um, I recently moved to Los Angeles in January, and along with my other three organizers, we're all relatively new within the last five years to Los Angeles. And we all come from architectural backgrounds in different forms, um, art and architecture. Um, 
like I said, I'm a curator and writer. One of our other organizers, Courtney, is a historian, uh, critic. Um, Jonathan Louie is an architect and professor of architecture. And Kate is also um, falls in that realm. He's a, a an architect, professor, actually at Woodbury University uh, nearby. And we all um, met kind of serendipitously, either sitting on each other's reviews at schools or through mutual friends. And we kind of got talking about our interests and also um, our desire to see some sort of space or place like on the road in the community here in Los Angeles. And um, we originally started the program with the, the first event, which actually um, was in the format of five U-Haul trucks that we assembled in a parking lot in front of the Mocha Geffen in downtown Los Angeles um, on June 2nd, which was the intended opening for the new sculpturalism show that was part of the Getty's Pacific Standard Time Presents Modern Architecture in L.A. series. And as I'm sure you probably remember, it was a much-anticipated show where um, there was a lot of uh, shifting with the, with the exhibition itself in terms of the curator, the opening date, and whether or not this exhibition was even going to happen at MOCA at all. And at that time, we decided that we thought the city needed a contemporary architecture show, and since we weren't sure if it was going to happen or not, instead of looking backwards at the last 25 years um, of architecture in L.A., which the MOCA show proposed to do, our exhibition was looking forward. Same um, sense of experimentation that um, the MOCA show was based on. And we were kind of arguing that experimentation is still alive and it's still going on in architecture and design studios in Los Angeles. Well, I think it's wonderful that you basically decided to do your own show, um, whether the MOCA show went forward or not, basically kind of taking control and saying, well, we're going to do something interesting, whether the show opens or not. Um, I know it it did open. I actually went to a a talk at MOCA uh, to hear all uh, with with the DNA um, host on KCRW. What's her name, Danielle? Francis Anderson. Right, with Francis yeah. Anderton, sorry, I forgot, and then uh, three mm-hmm. pretty well-known architects who were in the show, and they were talking all about the controversy of that show. It was really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, what I want to ask uh, Tate, I'm going to ask you to address this. I mean, you know, when you when I mean the traditional idea of what an architect does obviously is they build things, they build buildings. So, you know, describe a little bit about you know, being a contemporary architect and how that intersects with art in terms of maybe visual art shows. I mean, New Sculpturalism was the name of an architecture show. That's pretty interesting. And right. um, your show, which which I'd like you to describe a little bit more in detail about, like, who participated and what they produced in these U-Haul trucks and how that kind of was articulating what a contemporary architect Slash artist, you know, does in in where is that right now in in um, you know in practice of, in LA? Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because one of the things that we really in the the four weeks that we that we had to to actually launch the the first program, uh, we wanted to focus on uh, the now and really get to the point of of the fact that 
uh, yes, we could look at the past 25 years, but we could also really act in a con- more contemporaneous manner and look at uh, kind of what's starting to bubble up from uh, down below in terms of the the younger uh, architects who who've started their practices within the last five years or so in Los Angeles. And so we kind of originated with a, a kind of long list of, of folks and we started to to think about well who would uh what is actually what is contemporary architecture in Los Angeles and so uh we we looked at people who were really operating with a, a at least one strong foot in the, the field of architecture but who were actually using uh in some cases traditional modes of representation, whether they be plan, section, elevation, models, things that we know to be part of the the long history of presentational models in architecture, but they had to be, for us, people who were pushing those things in a new direction uh, and uh, and at the same time, we also wanted to include uh, people who were using mediums such as video, uh, people who were uh, operating in a more kind of performance-based dimension of their work, and people who uh, are also looking at the things that are are typically on the periphery of, of architecture whether they be uh, waste management facilities or uh, just things that are kind of on the scattering end of architecture uh, and building and how they can actually, uh, how those people are, are leveraging those those typologies in order to, uh, to kind of inject new ideas into and towards the center of architecture. And in terms of the format, uh, you know, one of the things that that if, if you've ever gone to an architecture exhibit in a museum or a gallery, you know, it's typically just plans and and models and uh, that are that sit in a in a very neutral way within the space. And so, one of the things that we've tried to do with with each of the on the road programs is is to kind of transgress that expected a- approach to how one presents uh, architectural works within uh, within the space. And so we actually, we see with each program uh, that a, a space is kind of generated through uh, the work that the participants each bring. Okay, I got it. You know what, though, I want... 
just again, I'm trying to for our listening audience who may or may not have seen like images of the exhibition, mm-hmm. which of course they can do by going to your website. By the way, of course, on the road project la dot org. If you're sitting at your computer, why don't you go ahead and log on? And or they also have a good Facebook page. Um, but just visually, I'm going to ask Danielle, can you describe visually for us so we can get a picture of even just one mm-hmm. of the trucks, one of the U-Hauls, where as um, James, I'm sorry, as Tate was describing, like let's say. I'm intrigued by this idea of performative aspects yeah. of some architecture's work like that. I can't even kind of get my head around that. So it may be that if you could describe literally uh, visually what the, what they created. Yeah, well, the the trucks were kind of um, separated, um, I guess, sort of somewhat thematically, but there were definitely um, – uh, projects that kind of um, resonated with other trucks as well. But there was one truck, actually, the first truck, and it was a making truck. And uh, three different um, architects kind of established their studio in the space of the truck for the day, kind of making um, their project, or it was a participatory in a way, um, the way that they engaged their project or their work with the audience. Um, For example, Bryony Roberts, um, she's an architect based here in Los Angeles, and she um, had an interactive model-making program that was happening inside of the truck where she created this axonometric drawing of an impossible space. And then she asked um, visitors to the exhibition into the truck to create um, a three-dimensional representation of this two-dimensional drawing um, using different colored pieces of construction paper. And these models were uh, loosely based on her representation of this face that she had drawn, and it was um, exhibited inside of the truck. Um, There was another architect in the truck, um, Michael Fasigiu, Cheyu, sorry, um, he his work was based on a world city. Um, it was a project on um, Belgian bibliographer Paul Otlet's project for a world city based on information. And ex- exhibition viewers were asked to write and draw the cumulative history of architecture on standardized index cards, which then were posted on the interior of the truck. So some of these performance-based interactions kind of gave the architects this um, direct relationship to the viewers, and the viewers actually became uh, active participants in the making of this work. That's really exciting. And I would would add on to that one that that one other participant on that truck uh, was Jimenez Lai, who... uh, Performed a six-hour endurance drawing on the where he attempted to actually make a drawing that would cover the entire side of of the truck that day. Um, and so, if if you came early in the day, it was literally a a, a blank uh, canvas of paper uh, tacked onto the side of the truck. And by the end of the day, like in the sun, in the heat, he tried to endure his way through actually. Uh, creating a single composed drawing on the side of the truck. 
How great! This, this sounds. It just sounds very. It just sounds very innovative. I'm going to ask ask you, Tate, a little bit too. I'm I'm interested in kind of many sides of this. Of course, the art, the production side, the concept, the conceptual side. But I'm also really interested in the mechanics of artists like yourselves who do these guerrilla, usually somewhat guerrilla style exhibitions, and, and like how they actually. Uh, came about. I mean, in terms of using the Mocha parking lot, did you just crash? Did you crash the parking lot, or was there some kind of relationship there? Or you know, how, how did that happen? By by and large, yes, it, it was a, a kind of uh, we we when when it seemed like the the Mocha show wasn't going to happen, uh, we started to kind of scout out where we might actually have this occur, and while walking around, you know, uh, there's, there is the, the paid lot that's behind, uh, that, that actually kind of serves as the, the natural parking lot for MOCA. And, uh, and we decided that we were going to just buy the parking spots for the day and, uh, and really proceeded from there to, to, to pull up and and set up that day, and I mean, so Mo- I don't think I don't know if Mocha was aware that we were. I mean, maybe through social media they had become conscious that something was going to happen. But I know the morning that we pulled up in the trucks, uh, the the security guards inside the museum started peering out in in a kind of curious manner of wondering what was going on. I'm sure. I'm sure, and then and then. So, do, were you aware on that day too that so beyond the security guards, were, was anyone from Mocha or in that exhibition uh, kind of aware and kind of coming in and out? I'm I'm just curious. Yeah, well, uh, I think once the day started going, I think Mocha actually was uh, excited by what was happening. I mean, it, it well, definitely brought be. some people to the Earth Fisher show. Um, I mean, we, yeah, we were, we were pretty excited both by the idea that, that maybe people who were going to the Earth Fisher show might come across our show, but also the idea that, that, uh, that our show kind of enacted a, uh, a kind of extension of Mocha into that parking lot. And, yeah. uh, and we were, uh, yeah, no, that was that was definitely. Actually, Go ahead. Go ahead, Danielle. Oh, I was going to say, um, actually, one of the publications, Curbs, actually, when they were writing about our exhibition, the title of the story was Mocha's U-Hauls. They accredited yeah. our project to Mocha that it was an oh. exhibition from the museum. So, you know, we took it as well, a compliment. Well, that's a compliment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's definitely a compliment. That's wonderful. Yeah, we were. We you know were, what? We were very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a, a, a infiltration, <laughs> you know, of, of a yes, high institution with you know innovative ideas, and then that they were obviously done in such a quality way that that they people assumed it was actually from that institution, and yet you were well, really presenting something a little bit beyond what they would normally do. But uh, I'm mm-hmm. glad you took right. it as a compliment. So I want yeah, to, I mean, so Mocha, Mocha was founded on such things, right? 
Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They could uh, have you do things like that for every show. There's an idea. <laughs> um, so let's see. Okay, so there's so much to talk about with each of your projects. Um, I guess we'll we'll go on to um, chatting a little bit about the, the, the collaboration with Thank You for Coming. And then, of course, I do want to talk about the mo- more recent show. Um, so... In in moving forward to the next exhibition, I just want to ask you, Danielle, like how does the group come up with the concepts for the show? What's your process of, of saying or, you know, coming up with what's next? Yeah, um, well, in the beginning of this kind of endeavor, we kind of highlighted different themes or projects or ideas that we had and that we wanted to kind of fulfill during the course of the year, which our program is set for a full year through next June of 2014. And our events are very site-specific in a way, whereas we have an idea and then um, it's not like we have an idea and we apply it to the site necessarily. A lot of times it's based on the site and the relationship um, of surrounding the site, where in the case of our second event with Thank You for Coming, we closely worked in relationship to the existing um, building itself where Thank You For Coming is housed and also with the program that they had going on at the time inside which was by an artist by the name of Jason Metcalf and he did a um, a program where he served um, last meals of death row inmates. Um, so it was a very heavy and kind of, um, it was a very, um, uh, the the space itself, it was kind of an interesting environment um, when we were actually in the space experiencing eating the last meals. And I think that also uh, influenced how we set up our next event. Um, I think it is very site-specific, and with this one, we were interested in these ideas of isolation and uh, the threshold and boundary conditions that... Um, once you entered the space, you were in one distinct world or area, and it had a specific impact on your mood and the environment and maybe directed conversation in such a way, whereas when you were in another space um, outside of the restaurant area. Um, so we looked at two specific um, spatial contrasts. One was this median on the highway on Glendale Boulevard outside of Thank You for Coming in Atwater Village. And another condition was this interior courtyard that was surrounding um, the existing buildings in the backyard of Thank You for Coming. And they were both um, interesting spaces that had distinct conditions of isolation and um, residual space. And we um, kind of programmed the the participants based on the site itself and what we were interested in exploring. Um, Yeah, I mean, and it really, go ahead. No, go ahead, uh, go ahead, Tate. No, and I was just going to add to that, just the idea that uh, we typically, as architects, think that the, the kind of limit or boundary of of an architectural space is within the building itself and uh in setting up these uh the different artists within uh this kind of kind of expanded threshold of of this site across through Glendale Boulevard and into the median and then extending into the backyard the idea that there was a kind of continuous line of movement between those and 
the idea that in order to get out to the, the median site, you actually had to negotiate your way on foot across uh, several lanes of traffic. You know, there was that was important to structuring this this particular event. I really love how you are really thinking about site in not, you know, in such a layered way. You know, not just where the sculpture is placed. I mean, there were some, there were sculpture, sculptural mm-hmm. objects, these big silver things <laughs> from the yeah. photos that didn't, you know, to see. And but that you actually thought of the path that someone has to take to get there, which is part you know, of the concept. I mean, you're, you're, you all are being so thoughtful on every layer of, of these connections. So I'm very impressed with that. That's really taking the, you know, site-specific into, you know, pre-considered concepts. So I, I love that. Um, you know, I think I'm going to have Danielle describe now the project that just occurred, uh, which you did get a lot of nice online press for, at least, which yeah. I was glad to see, because it was very, uh, very unique. So uh, tell us about West of La Brea, that project, Danielle. Okay, so our last event just happened actually a few Sundays ago on October, uh, November 17th, and what we did was we had um, invited eight different designers to engage with the medium of drawing through producing a um, standard four-by-six-inch postcard that was to be reproduced 150 times and placed inside the house's mailbox. And it was they, we asked them to directly respond to and engage with um, a house in Los Angeles, west of La Brea Avenue, so on the west side. Um, and we were interested in the fact that the mailbox itself in today's contemporary society has kind of become an outdated form of communication. And emphasizing the system of distribution that happens outside of an institution like the coastal system or outside of an institution like the museum, we were um, interested in having the participants engage with this traditional format in a a new and, I guess, um, contemporary or modern way. And there was a map that was created that um, kind of highlighted the eight different sites um, where the public could navigate in any direction or any way that they saw fit, whether it was based on their proximity to their house or where they were the morning of the event, and that we would um, convene at 4 p.m. at one of the eight sites where a final postcard would be distributed. And it was really um, kind of like a a journey for the participants to kind of drive through these streets um, that they might have driven through hundreds of times before, but to really look at it differently and to look at the houses individually as well as relationally to the street, to its neighbors, to the other sites. And um, it, it, was, it was a really fun exhibition at the end of the day for us, for um, the organizers as well. I really enjoyed myself going on this scavenger hunt in a way, collecting the different postcards, which were these beautiful design objects in a way um, at each of the different sites. Kate, is there anything you want to... Yeah, I mean, just the idea also uh, when one looks at the the history of of the postcard in terms of uh, how it's used as a device to 
to represent something. Uh, the idea that that each of the participants were creating a, a response, a kind of representational object of a of an existing physical object. Uh, a few a few of the sites that were cho- I mean, we were we were really excited that when we reached out to the different uh, people to participate, that uh, some biased, very iconic works of architecture, while others uh, selected houses that uh, that you would just drive by every day and uh, not really acknowledge for its architectural merits, but the way that they were able to uh, extract or or insert their own narratives into these objects uh, through the, through their drawing, and also the idea that the ones that chose the iconic works of architecture, the way in which they were able to uh, kind of create through through the drawing something that you don't always literally acknowledge, or how you experience through the uh, through the building itself. Well, I think, you know, I'd like to ask you, uh, again, a little bit more specific visually. For instance, I know reading, I, I, seeing one of the homes was a Frank Lloyd Wright home. I mean, most people who even know a little bit about architecture <laughs> know Frank Lloyd Wright. So, um, I mean, also the mechanics of that. Did you just knock on the door of the Frank Lloyd Wright's home and ask the, the people who live there if you could use their mailbox? I'm interested in that. And then I'm just, if you could describe uh, what you just articulated in in terms of what was on that postcard. Okay. Yeah, uh, yes. So the so the two most iconic houses that were chosen uh, were Rudolf Schindler's own house, uh, which is is actually owned now by the the Max Center, uh, which is it's a it's one of the only houses in Los Angeles, architecturally significant houses, where anyone can can go and and tour the house. Uh, that's, that was another thing that was important to us was the idea that, you know, the house, some of, of Los Angeles' most significant works of architecture are houses, and yet you can only typically view them from the outside. So, uh, so there was Rudolf Schindler's own house, uh, which Heather Peterson, uh, chose to, to, instead of actually drawing the, the, the house, she, created a, a kind of an oral history of the house in terms of who's lived in the house over the years. And you can actually take an X-Acto knife and, and make a series of cuts into the postcard, which if you begin to tilt them up, it will create the, uh, the, the concrete walls of the house, which uh, this Schindler house was actually one of the first tilt-up concrete construction uh, constructed houses. Uh, so, and then the other house that I think that you're referring to, it's actually a, a Frank Gehry house. Uh, okay. Which R- is, wrong, sorry, wrong famous architect. Oh, <laughs> there, there's a lot. There's a lot of Franks. <laughs> a lot of Franks out there. <laughs> a lot of Franks. Um, and yeah, if your name is Frank, you have a chance of becoming an iconic. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but uh yeah the the amazing thing about 
about that house was we were actually we were actually really scared to approach the client uh, or the person that lives in the house uh, to to use the house as a as the kind of site, uh, and so we decided to just Clark, who was the 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 designer that took that house on, uh, decided to just set up on the the Venice Boardwalk on on the beach itself, and we were going to maintain a little bit of distance from the house. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a house that's so. Uh, you know, there's so many people on the Venice Boardwalk that pass by it every day and photograph it because it's a, it's a really, I mean, it's a house that when you walk by, you you definitely know that it's not it, that there's an idea behind it, and so people, right, uh, people acknowledge it. And so the funny thing though is we were we were there that morning, and the owner of the house came out and. Uh, you know, we were all kind of quivering for a moment. What is he going to make us shut down and move <laughs> right. on? And mm-hmm. he ended up. He was. He he was so generous. Uh, he actually invited us to to go up to the uh, to the um, courtyard space and to the little tower that's that's on the site. And, uh, it was incredible to. That's fantastic. To, yeah, to have him really welcome us in and encourage us to continue doing on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised in a way. I mean, really, you're doing something really extremely unique and innovative. It's very exciting. I actually wish it was not only for one year. We're going to get to that <laughs> little bit in a minute because I do want to ask you about that. But a couple of just mechanical questions, too. So with the 150 postcards, um, so audience or participants were allowed to take those postcards for themselves as, like, Remnants, pieces of art, Danielle. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So um, that's awesome. So, people, so you not only participated, you ended up having a little collection of these postcards. Yeah, you created created your own collection in a way as you traveled to the diverse sites on the west side on that that's Sunday wonderful. afternoon. Wonderful. I I assume you ran out of postcards. We we still have some. We do have some, but not many. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't. I thought. I yeah. I I assumed you know that, that they would be gone for sure. Uh, I'm glad you uh, have some for posterity as well too. Mm. I mean, it brings up how the response has been. Um, you know, I I found you online. I, I see you do a lot of mm-hmm. online. Of course, we all do a lot of online yeah. promotion, Facebook promotion. It's kind of how I find all of these things that's going on usually. And so, you know, what has the response been? Are you happy with? Um, you know the the public, the numbers, the people that are coming, and and the the press that you've had. Um, yeah, I mean, we're completely like blown away actually by the support and the um, the press, and yeah, I mean, we kind of didn't really know what to expect going into this. We were creating an event that we were hoping we could engage a lar- larger audience with, and people that we felt. Um, we're interested in this sort of thing, um, but I think it's gone beyond uh, the scope of what we thought, and we've really established um, a very dedicated audience base that's kind of followed us through the last three events, and even the participants themselves have kind of been very supportive of the program in general and keep coming back, and even when we talk to them or when we had um, this 
we had a discursive um, talk at the end of our last event, and previous participants like referred to themselves as, oh, I was in OTR1 or I was an OTR2 participant. And to kind of have that sense of identity that comes with on the road and the fact that we are creating some sort of um, uh, conversive group of colleagues that have these shared interests and overlaps, but also very clear and distinct personalities and pursuits. We're, we're extremely um, um, pleased with, with the feedback um, that we've gotten. Yeah, and, and just to expand just briefly on that, you know, one of the things that maybe people outside of, of the discipline uh, don't necessarily know about architecture in, in Los Angeles, but there are there's definitely uh small groups in the city that that each have their own their own set of interests um and one of the things in 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 curating each show uh we try to we, we try very hard to to bring people who have very different uh who have very different sets of interests in, in architecture together uh, because, you know, within our own discipline, you know, if, if we can't talk to ourselves then uh, um, or amongst ourselves, then, you know, that's, that's as much of a problem as being able to speak to the broader public as well. And so we're, we're excited by the fact that, you know, someone who might work in a more analog format uh, might be in the same show with someone who is really in, invested in, in digital uh, tooling and fabrication and uh, and also someone who might be very interested in history and theory and that, that those two can act, that those three different uh, audiences might actually be able to to produce something quite profound by actually being in the same space together. Yeah, you're really that's really crossing the boundaries, blurring the boundaries, and that really is what a contemporary person does, you know, in, in right. this in this age, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. And you know, the blending of art, architecture, and design, and the boundaries are kind of you know they are fraying. It's wonderful, it's exciting, and you have tapped into that kind of there's a little zeitgeist going on in, in in that and you've really tapped into it because obviously you've you know you're getting such great response and you're kind of giving a little bit of a place and voice for the community of young architect artists designers who who want to be engaged so i think right. it's wonderful you know we only have a few minutes left unfortunately okay. i feel like we could talk for um more more time but i do want yeah. to just daniel get just briefly just to get people excited tell us a little bit about your palm springs project what's next um and, and then we'll have to, to end there yeah, definitely. Well, we're already planning our next and fourth on-the-road event, and it's going to be taking place this winter in February. Um, so we're planning on heading to Palm Springs for a summery weekend getaway, and our program is going to be located poolside at four different hotel pools in Palm Springs. Um, so we're really looking forward to um, taking on-the-road um, to Palm Springs and kind of using it as a site of relaxation um, as well as more dialogue, more um, 
shared experiences and also this pleasurable environment that has produced so many interesting um, uh, possibilities in the past and to kind of um, re-engage them now, today, um, with contemporary artists, designers, and architects. Um, that sounds incredible. I might just have to make a trip out there to see that. I love that idea of using pools. I've used a pool in my curating before. <laughs> it's uh-huh. a very interesting site. Um, I'm, well, what I'd love people to do, I hope you're as intrigued, our listeners, as I am, to follow um, OTR by going to their website and liking them on Facebook and getting on a mailing list because you're three projects into maybe maybe six or seven for the year. I don't know how many exactly. Maybe you don't even know. But, yeah, we you know, don't. One year is, yeah, you don't know. You're, you're kind of going with it. I have a feeling it'll be so interesting to see what happens at the end of the year. And I would absolutely love to have you back at the end of That's the year, amazing. at least, if not sooner. But, like, to have you back and, uh, and, and let's see where you are with it because um, in the year, I'm sure, will have been a major success. And then it'll be really interesting to see where you think you will all, the next steps you will take. So I will definitely have you back at that time. And thank you both for being on the show. Yeah, thank, thank you, Tara. You're welcome. So this is Just Radio, a company run, uh, I'm sorry, the, the radio company is uh, a part of Just Inc., which is run by artists for artists, dedicated to providing resources for developing and sustaining one's career in the DIY and hybrid practice kind of mindsets like my two guests today certainly were. So thank you for listening and visit justinc.com for more information. Bye-bye. Life is full of big moments. Getting married, having kids, moving into a new home. These are the kind of moments that change everything. And they might have you making changes to things you don't always think about, like your health coverage. Covered California wants you to know that when you have a big life change, you may be able to enroll in health coverage or adjust your current plan. The enrollment window is limited, so to see if you qualify or to find one of our local experts, visit CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. I never planned on losing my job, but losing my family's health insurance was an even tougher pill to swallow. So I looked into COBRA, but too pricey. Then I found out about special enrollment through Covered California, where I was able to choose from good health insurance companies I've actually heard of. I even got help paying for it. I had no idea someone was there for me. But Covered California really had my back. To see if you qualify or to find one of our local experts, visit CoveredCA.com. Covered California, it's more than just health care, it's life care.